Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Brian found out he was going to be leading worship this morning at like 7.30, so <laughs> thank you. Thank you for being here. As always, uh, I always love hearing Brian's voice. Good morning, everybody. <laughs> uh, good morning. It's me, Margaret. <clears throat> yeah, as Brian said, Sam's out today, and... Um, he let us know last night, so um, again, we just keep our thoughts and prayers with him this morning as we get started, and he texted this morning, because I always forget, and he said, don't forget <laughs> to mention the ways that you can all support Genesis, and so, um, yeah, I want to remind you that your support is what keeps the lights on, what keeps us moving forward, what keeps us on mission, and I know... Um, even as Brian prayed and, and he said, like, we want to be a church that makes a difference in the city. And, you know, you look around and you're like, can we really, this small group of people, can we do that? Yeah, of course we can. But um, we, we need to support the vision. And we might be a small group right now, but that doesn't mean the vision has scaled back at all. And I want to make sure that we're thinking like that. We have work to do here in Upland and in San Bernardino County and in California and in the United States and in Haiti. And so if you go to thegenesisstory.com, you'll find ways to support the work that we're doing, but you'll also find a link, a flag across the top in orange, um, the links directly to For a Reason. And... Um, there you can also support the, the work that we're doing in Haiti. And Sam mentioned last week the conditions in Haiti and how bad it's gotten. And to the point where we're not supporting the schools at this time, we're literally supplying essentials for living. It's that bad. So the necessities of life is, is if, you can, if you have the means, uh, please, again, you can go to thegenesisstory.com and... Uh, Again, find the orange banner, click on the Help for Haiti sign, or you can go directly to forareason.org forward slash donate. There are things like what is happening in Haiti uh, that, that people are literally afraid for their lives every day. There's a big, scary war in Ukraine that's spread beyond that tiny country, right? Because now people here, um, I keep seeing it 
and and uh, maybe you think it's foolish or maybe you don't, but I keep seeing people talk about this threat of nuclear war and how people are starting to be affected by that because this also affects our mental health and and just our the way we think about life because there's this kind of overwhelming shadow that happens in your head when you have something that big in mind. There's a homeless crisis in California. Every time I get up here, I feel like I'm like, man, look how bad things are. <laughs> it's been a heck of a week. And every time I'm like, it can't get worse. And then it's just like, man, when you open your eyes and start seeing what's going on in the world, it's, it's crazy how much suffering there is. And you're, if you're an empath of any sort, it just feels like it's too much. There's too much to think about. And people are so angry all the time. Uh, Brianna and I, we've been following the story of a young lady uh, named Addie Addison, Addie Connolly. Uh, a young girl who is my niece's cousin-in-law. So we got introduced that way. But then um, we started seeing the stuff, the story pop up all over social media. And even in the local media on TV, uh, Addie was diagnosed with terminal cancer last year at the age of 17. I think she was actually 16 when she was diagnosed. And what an incredible story she has. When she was diagnosed with terminal cancer, she created a bucket list. And her parents and her friends and her family and eventually people all over the world decided to help her meet the things on her, as many things as possible on her bucket list. And so at 17, she married her high school sweetheart. She got to go on trips. She, um, maybe one of the biggest things that happened is all these strings were pulled so that she could meet her favorite country singer, a guy named Luke Combs. And he flew her out to a concert, to an arena, led her backstage where she met him and the band and they hung out. He heard her story. He brought her out on stage where he sang a song to her. I'm not, I don't know Luke's music, so I'm not sure, but I think it was a big hit song. And this arena full of like, you know, tens of thousands of people sang to her. And through that, because that got a lot of attention and a lot of people were in that arena, just, you know, people started following her story on Facebook. And it was a pretty incredible thing to, to watch. Story made headlines. People from all over the world were tuning in to watch what was going on in her life. Offering prayer, warm wishes. But the cancer was relentless. I, I mused this out a little bit, struggling in my own faith over this, because I thought to myself, if, if God healed her, this seems like such an easy thing for God. And now with this worldwide audience on her, like all these people praying, all these people you know, following the story, and I thought, what an incredible testimony of faith this could be. Literally thousands of people, tens of thousands of people could have their life changed, their, their faith made real or whole if he would just do this thing that everybody is praying for. It could at least spark some significant movement of faith that I think we are desperately in need of. But she passed away this week. 
the day after her 18th birthday. The day after her 18th birthday, which was the goal, she wanted to get to 18 because then she would have access to more medical treatments, more experimental treatments that could have helped her. But it didn't happen that way. So when you find the people of Haiti literally crying out to the nations for help, please intervene in our country. We can't do this. We can't fix what's happening here by ourselves. When you see the president of Ukraine pretty much doing the same thing, we can't beat this behemoth of, a, of an enemy and win. We need help. When your child or your cousin or your parent is sick and the doctors only have bad news, what do you do? What do you think? How do you struggle through this and come out with a strengthened faith or any faith? We've had this conversation in our house this week since Addie passed because it was a big deal for us. And I wanted to bring it here today. I used to have answers for all the hard stuff. I used to have, uh, I've said this before, I had a tight little box of theology and if somebody asked me why do bad things happen to good people, I had an answer for that. I don't think it was helpful to anybody Um, but at least I didn't feel so hopeless. (laughs) When tragedy strikes, when the unexplainable lands in your life, when you see injustice in the world, do you ask questions? I watched this interview um, with Peter Enns. Peter Enns, a a theologian, a Bible scholar that Sam has talked about before. And they were asking him about his faith and how it's changed over the years. Um, And it has changed a lot because he's not an evangelical anymore. And he was talking about, you know, kind of the the stuff we've talked about recently and looking at the, he's an Old Testament scholar to be specific, and how he, he was saying that he's not sure that these stories are really what happened or if they are just representative of a bigger truth. And, um, and so they started kind of, the interviewers kind of asking him pointed questions about that. Like, well, what does that look like? And if you're not sure about any of that stuff, why do you still call yourself a Christian? Why not just say you're an agnostic now? And he said, his answer was really interesting. He said, uh, it was multi-layered, and I'm not going to do it justice because it was a long answer, but uh, one of the things he said was, One thing I find compelling about the gospel is in this idea of suffering. And not just suffering, but suffering and humiliation. The idea of a religion in the first century starts with its founder being humiliated on a Roman cross. And the God of Israel associates himself with this figure. And he said, and he said, this makes no sense 
in a first century mind. This is not the kind of leader people were looking to follow. They wanted strength and power, not humiliation and meekness. And so he was saying basically, this compels me because this did happen. This did happen in the first century. And it grew and it blossomed. And he said, and that just isn't an accident. See, the God of Israel spends a lot of time in the Old Testament being pretty harsh to people who shamed his name. There were wars. There were exiles. All kinds of things. If you know the Old Testament story, the ups and downs of the whole thing, the people shamed God. They disrespected God when they thought they could do it without him, right? Over and over and over again. And he punishes them in several ways. So you have this Old Testament thing of like, People, people returning to God, people falling away from God, God punishing them, people turning back to God over and over and over. And here, in the story of Jesus, he associates himself with this man, the Christ, on a cross, which is, well, let's see what Paul says about it. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 22 through 25. He says, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. We preach Christ crucified, which everybody else looks at as silly, foolishness, which everybody else sees as weakness. And he said, but this is not weakness. This is not foolishness. And we know that. But to the first century world, those looking in at it would be like, what kind of leader falls prey like this before the movement even starts? But it did. It did start. It did bloom and flourish and became this faith that we have 2,000 years later. P.N. said it's in the suffering that the power of God shows up. And this, of course, is also how Jesus answered his disciples when they asked him why the man was born blind in John chapter 9. John chapter 9 says, As he went along, he saw a man blind, uh, blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, the man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so the works of God might be displayed in him. This isn't the end of that story, of course. Jesus does heal him and then that really pisses off the Pharisees because it was on a Sabbath day. <laughs> and so they investigate the healing and uh, come after him. But anyway, that's for another time. Um, what does Jesus say here? And is this of any satisfaction to our souls 
This man, it wasn't his sin, it wasn't his parents' sin, you're, you're asking the wrong question, it wasn't that. He was born blind so that the power of God can be seen. Wow, I don't know what to make of that. But I'm going to keep that in my hat and think through it and study on it and wrestle with it some more. Over in Romans 8, Paul speaks of suffering and compares it to future hope. Romans 8, starting in verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits an eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope. In hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. And verse 22 says, We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So you have a man born blind and the disciples want to know why. Fair question. But Jesus says you're asking the wrong question. It happens so that the works of God, the power of God might be displayed in him. Pete N says it's in the suffering that the power of God shows up. And Paul says, these present sufferings, they're felt throughout all creation, right up to the present time. And he's talking about nearly 2,000 years ago. I'm going to tie all this up in a minute, but bear with me. A lot of us grew up in a faith being told that this, this is what's true. Don't question it. Just accept it. All your questions, all your intellectual capacity that's pushing back against some of these things, ignore all that and just go with the flow. This is true, trust me. But today, in light of, I mean, on top of all the tragedies I mentioned, the Dodgers also lost. And we have questions, God. I want to give you permission to ask questions. And I know that's, that's one of the marks, the hallmarks of Genesis and what Sam loves to do as well. But I want you to know it's okay to have doubts. It's okay that when you read Genesis 3 and, you, and there's a talking serpent that you ask, did that really happen? Is there really? It's okay to ask that. And I know it feels like blasphemy, but it's, it's not. Is this literal? Is this a story? We need to ask those kinds of questions. And when you witness suffering, when you see injustice in the world, when you see things falling apart, and when you suffer yourself, it's okay. It's, it's not just okay. It's appropriate to ask questions. Imagine watching or reading a, a news story about human trafficking or brutal racism, or sweatshops, or cancer, and not asking, why, God? Imagine not even thinking that way anymore, because you're so conditioned to just accept the pat answer, the single answer Bible verse, 
we're allowed to ask God. We have a relationship for that reason. We're allowed to say, why? Why would you allow this? Why? I could see a completely different turnout if you would just do this one thing. And I get it. A lot of us stopped asking those kinds of questions a long time ago because they weren't allowed. Or you'd look faithless, or it feels like blasphemy, or you'd hear the pat answer so many times that you just stopped asking the question. It's sin. There's sin in the world, and so bad things happen to good people. That's always the, the, the pat answer, right? The short one. I have uh, one more scripture and then a story. In Luke 13, starting in verse 1, now there was some present, there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell, when it fell on them. Do you think they were more guilty than others in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Now, I know how this is often taught because I've taught it this way. You hear that Jesus is saying, repent, which, which your thinking means get your life in order, or this might happen to you too. But it's so transactional. That's so not the character of Jesus that I don't know how we could just accept that. And, and if you remember the way that Sam has taught about repentance or what the word means, it's, it's, it's turning for sure, and there is some truth to this, right? But it's also a change in the way you think. Repenting means to change the way you think. And so Jesus is saying, if you think these bad things happened, that these people suffered because of their sin, you need to rethink that. You need to reconsider the way you're thinking. You need to align your thoughts with God's thoughts because you're asking the wrong questions. That is not what he is saying. He is not saying, get your life right. He's saying, change the way you think. And the tough part is he doesn't give answers for why the bad stuff happens. And so the things that we want to know, in the first century there was much more of a kind of a, a JFK way of thinking about, you know, what, don't ask what your country can do for you, right? That's the way they thought too. There was a communal collective, like we, we want to do what's right for everybody. We, in our, in our minds, we are often the opposite. We're individuals and we think opposite. <clears throat> what can this do for me? But Jesus here, he's not chastising them for asking questions He's, he's not saying get your life right so you don't have to suffer like them. He's saying you're asking the wrong questions. Bad things happen. He says elsewhere, there will be tribulation. You're going to have tribulation. But he doesn't answer the question of, of why. He tells them to change the way they, they're thinking about the tragedy. It's not because they're bad people. Bad things happen to everyone. Why? There's no answer. But let's ask that question together. Let's struggle through this as a community, right? Let's pray together. Let's surround each other when bad things happen to one of us. 
And let's also understand that the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is not doubt. Doubt helps us to grow. Asking questions leads us to answers. Struggling with the scriptures gives us faith. Wrestling with God brings us to new levels. The opposite of faith is when we think we have all the answers. One more story and we'll finish here. <clears throat> this is a story about Father John Kavanaugh. It's a pretty uh, well, I mean, I think it's a pretty well-known story. You might have heard it before, but I read an interview with him. He's a Jesuit priest who spent um, a mandatory year of prayer in India in 1975. And uh, according to his order um, of that year, he had to spend one month in service somewhere. And so he asked if he could spend one month in Calcutta with Mother Teresa, whom in 1975 wasn't, you know, I think it was 1980, I think, when she won the Nobel Peace Prize. She wasn't, uh, people knew who she was, but she wasn't like the Mother Teresa we think of now. Um, but he knew who she was, and he, uh, he wanted to work with her. So he spent a month in India with Mother Teresa in Calcutta, who he said was a, a little woman with a lot of dynamo. <laughs> he said she was very fast, very businesslike, very orderly. He worked alongside her at the House of the Dying, literally what it's called. He said that she had a powerful connection to the poor and a remarkable ability to connect and identify with the marginalized. He told one story about a man that had been brought in from the street that was left dying on the street in Calcutta, and they brought him in, put him in a bed, and she wasn't there. She was on a trip, and um, the man wouldn't eat. He refused to eat, and he was just going to die. And he said he watched when Mother Teresa returned, and she saw the man, and she went up to him, and she took his face in her hands. And he said, I couldn't hear what she said. But he started eating. He wanted to live. Anyways, she had uh, said she wanted, this is her, her thoughts about her life and her calling. She wanted to help people by taking on their suffering including their feelings of abandonment and absence of love. As a young priest, he was conflicted about where he wanted to go next. And he told her, <clears throat> I'm, I'm trying to decide where I'm going to serve as a priest. And he said, and I really want to ask you, I really want to ask you to pray for me for clarity. And he said he was very surprised when she said, I'm not going to pray for you for that. She said, no. And he told her, I assume that you are a woman of clarity, your purpose, you've always known exactly what you're supposed to do. 
And he's like, I just want some of the clarity that you have. And then she said, again, surprised him and said, I have never had clarity. I have never known for certain. I have only had trust. She said, I will pray that you trust in God. We ask a lot of questions when we get hurt. We go through suffering. When we see suffering, we should ask questions. And we shouldn't be satisfied with pat answers. We should struggle through these things because they make us better. They make us more like the suffering servant himself. And if that's hard because you want the answer, I get that. I do too. I want to know why Addie died the day after her 18th birthday. But I might never know. The best I can do is trust. It's what Mother Teresa said. I might never know. I might never have clarity. But I can trust. Father, I pray for our community. I pray for our pastor. I pray... Lord, that you would teach us how to be people who trust you, even in the hardest of circumstances, even in the midst of anxiety and stress and pressure and suffering. I pray that through it all, somehow in your hands, it helps us to look more like Jesus to the world that's watching. And I pray that you would be glorified in all of it. In Jesus' name. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.